Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy Thursday at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. ShotGlassDigital.com Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Influences. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I can't believe that we haven't talked at all. No, no, we haven't ever. Since Star Wars Celebration. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) All right, welcome back to Star Wars Influences. Finally, we're back, Paul. At last. Listen, not not my fault. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I have been guilty of uh, being on the go. Uh, it's been a busy summer since Anaheim. It's been a busy summer for me as far as Star Wars goes. Went out to Star Wars weekends at Disney. It's been a busy summer for my family, too. So, But you know what? We're pushing all that aside because it's time for Star Wars Influences. Yes, that's Rebel Force Radio's monthly look. <laughs> I say monthly with the quote. Um, yeah. But uh, it's our look at everything that inspired and contributed to the vision of Star Wars as we see it on the silver screen and also on the smaller screen, too, because we're going to be talking about Star Wars Rebels this episode, among other things. Joining me, as always, is uh, noted Star Wars artist and good buddy of Rebel Force Radio, Paul Bateman. Hey, everybody. How you doing? It's it's nice to be back. Been way too long, and I feel like I've got so much to say because it's been ages and ages and ages. And, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, you told me, and I never never realized this, but uh, that there was maybe a a competition or at least uh, uh, you were trying to keep pace with David Collins because you said you wanted to make sure that influences didn't fall too far behind oxygen. Yeah, well, it was, yeah, not really, comp- uh, do, do, do you know what, I don't have a competitive body bone in my body. It was more about just kind of um, <clears throat> pacing myself and not losing sight of how many we're doing, you know. And uh, David, David obviously is very professional and, and seems to kind of keep up the, the rhythm, you know, whereas me, I'm, I'm a bit all over the place. And we kind of, we do one and then we do non phrases and then we do two back to back. And, you know, and I thought it would be nice to do, to do lots of them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Jimmy and I were just talking about... Um, you know, ways that we might expand the number of episodes and stuff like that. And we've got some interesting ideas. So um, I would I would kind of say that it's quite likely that all of a sudden the number of, of influencers episodes are, are going to are gonna uh, start to catch up maybe, or at least that's the plan. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know what? The plan is for this show to get caught up on everything that happened at Celebration up to now. And there's been a lot happening in Star Wars. There's no question about it. Now, obviously, first and foremost... 
I want to know how your Star Wars celebration was. How was your trip to Anaheim? I was with you most of the time, so <laughs> I know you're going to have a positive report. But, uh, I mean, like, what just really stuck out to you? Uh, I know you, you, you were bumping into a lot of uh, old friends and making new friends. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, when I was thinking about, you know, it would be nice to do an Influences About celebration, the first thing I kind of thought of was, maybe that horse has bolted and it's been a little while now and people wouldn't be interested in sort of like talking about celebration so late in the day. Um, especially cause you and Jason have covered it so thoroughly. Um, but then I thought, you know, I don't know, there was a lot to sort of talk about that it, it never really kind of goes out of fashion, you know, just the fact that so many cool people were at celebration and, and just every, every one of those celebrations just seems to get better and better and better. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're like me, Jimmy, you've been going for years and, and mm-hmm. for me, this was definitely the best celebration that we've had. And, uh, you know, although like, you know, like every kind of big event like this, there were, there were little things to complain about, but in, in, on, you know, on the whole, I think it was just such a fantastic experience. And, uh, I mean, another reason why I thought it would be fun to talk about it is just that, you know, the majority of listeners, you know, were, were, didn't, were not fortunate enough to sort of uh, hang out with you guys as much as I did. And it was quite nice to, to have that experience, you know, sort of sitting backstage and listening to you guys talking and, and uh, being completely free for a change. Because ordinarily, you know, obviously I'd be working the stand for, for uh, Stan and, and the whole kind of Ralph McRae posse. Um, and this this was the first one that I'd been to with uh, Athena, where we were both kind of completely free to just um, run around like idiots, mainly after after Carl Newman. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, so much fun, wasn't it? You're playing, I mean, yeah, playing the Where's Kyle game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, firstly, I must apologise to everybody. I mean, because we've got so many friends on Facebook and 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 out there on the net you know, that we, we very rarely get a chance to see. And uh, so many people reached out to me before the convention and said it would be lovely to hook up and say hi. And uh, a whole bunch of people did just that. But a whole, you know, a whole other pile of people we didn't even get a chance to sort of say hello to because we were just running around like idiots the whole time. But, um, I mean, there was just so much to do and so much to see, wasn't there? Oh, are you kidding me? Too much to do, too much to see, impossible to do it all. And impossible to see all the people you want to see. But uh, there's always time for more. I heard uh, recently that um, uh, it, it is official that these conventions are going to be annual events. Um, oh, that's so good. Yeah, and they're going to bounce around. They're going to be in the States, and they're going to be overseas. So, obviously, the next one is in London next yeah. year. I'm sure what? you – yeah, you're all set. <laughs> you're, that's a done deal for you. Need to get a bigger couch. No yeah, good. you might. You just might. Wait for those phone call. Paul, can we have a visit to Pinewood? All right, listen, let me just say first, okay? <laughs> I got I got first dibs. Yeah, totally. Okay. And this is public. I have public record of it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've got, you guys, we've got to get you guys over at least a week before because we've got to get you over to Elstree and a bunch of locations, you know, take you out to, to Wyland to to where they're shooting up seven and all that kind of stuff. You've got to do all that, haven't we? Oh, yeah. You know, I have to suit up as a stormtrooper, of course. Like, you know, Daniel Craig, he just walks on the set and they're like, oh, suit him <laughs> up in the armor. I don't think we'll get the same response. No, no, no. I th- yeah, I don't think I'd rock the armor. Not mm. yet, anyway. No, it'd be, it would be throw him to the ground and take his cell phone. and Yeah, <laughs> it'd be like, why you up Jabba wearing plastic? It doesn't make sense. No. It's, <laughs> it's very odd. So, uh, uh, but yeah, you, you, you so you... um you do uh you do have some particular standout moments from Star Wars celebration, oh, don't you? Heaps. Well I mean I mean what was what was 
amazing to me was just the the energy as soon as you got in the place. I mean, the, the, the you know we we arrived a little early. Obviously, kind of coming from overseas, you're always a bit a little bit paranoid that the, maybe the plane won't land in time or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> that something will go wrong, you know, in transit. So we we set off real early and we got there a couple of days before the convention. And uh, so we had we had bags of time to kind of catch up on our sleep and and uh, get over to the convention centre and sort out the ticket situation and all that. And what was really kind of cool was just kind of getting getting there and just immediately picking up that energy, you know. And it was like, I, I mean, I know that there are lots of people out there who went to the convention, but I'm sure there are even more that didn't. And one of the things that was sort of so special about this thing, right from the off, was even before you got in the building, you were reminded of how much it's just about the people that are in attendance. You know, even though you know that you kind of go in and you're hoping you're going to see a trailer, you hope you're going to see some props and all that kind of stuff. Like the second you get there, you're just getting that convention vibe and you're having fun just immediately. And and you're not even in the building. You're just hanging out with your fellow fans. And it was just wonderful to just kind of walk up that main drag in front of the convention center and just see all the people just couldn't wait for the convention center to open you know hanging out in the star wars t-shirts and it's really like kind of rejoining this giant family that you know that you already know i mean it was just such a wonderful vibe and then um you know, i mean just you just felt like it was so well organized from start to finish i mean the fact that kind of verizon got involved and everything and and that, that the whole thing was videoed was just brilliant because you felt like there was no way you were going to miss everything anything you know because somebody would be shooting it or or, or or doing something to kind of make sure that you, you're able to sort of check it out in some way later down the road. But all the hotels were so so sort of near to each other and, and just, you know, wandering into any hotel meant that you'd see at least, you know, a dozen friends just kind of standing around that you could just kind of say hello to. And it's, it's such a weird experience because it's almost like kind of visiting a Star Wars town where every bar and every every kind of, you know, uh, eatery you go in, it's got some friends of yours in it. So it's it's just... I don't know. It's just getting more and more invisible as every year goes by. I mean, when, you know, I immediately kind of got the bug for celebration when I went to the first, first one that we went to. Um, but like now it's just, there's no way on earth I could ever miss a celebration. Now we'd just go crazy if I didn't get, get to, get to go. Do you feel the same way, Jimmy? Do you feel like you'll always go now to every single one? Well, yeah, ever since Indianapolis in 2002, that was the first one I went to, uh, Star Wars celebration to, and I was definitely bit by the bug at that show. I had some convention experience going to things like Wizard World and other mm-hmm. local conventions. And uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, you're just looking for the Star Wars stuff at those things to actually be completely <laughs> immersed in Star Wars and just yeah. having it everywhere you look and having to make a, a choice over mm-hmm. what Star Wars thing you're going to see instead of the other thing. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you never have that opportunity at a regular convention. You just go to whatever Star Wars programming you can go to. Here, you have, uh, I mean, it's just really, mm. it's Sophie's choice, really. <laughs> it is a lot of times. But, you know, it's, um, I mean, it, I- it, it, it affected me in a profound way. And then to, you know, watch it grow into you know, grow as a fan who contributes to the fan community as well. To grow with it in that way has been sort of interesting to, to watch. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely want to see and go to each and every one and, and contribute in some way if I can. I mean, that, that main, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's key, isn't it? I think, you know, you you want, you want to be a remembered part of it really, don't you? I mean, that's, that's the thing because you take so many memories away yourself. I mean, when we were walking down the, the main track, I mean, for those people that didn't make it, there was basically a sort of a slight slope and a, and a, and a kind of a, uh, a paved 
area, like a road immediately in front of the convention center that, that was filled with uh, food wagons and, you know, fast food and stuff like that. And then, you know, so certain nights you'd, you'd have, you know, DJ Elliot playing there and stuff like that. And people would be out dancing in costume and stuff like that. And it really had the same vibe as, as you know, like a like a rock concert or something. It had that, that kind of energy to it. But every single person's wearing either a Star Wars costume or uh, a Star Wars T-shirt, you know. And uh, it's just it's just such a joyous thing. I mean, everybody, everybody was just so happy to be there and, and just, I mean, celebration could not be more aptly named. I mean, you kind of feel like it really is truly a celebration. I mean, I've been to many conventions in the past, you know, even a, a couple of Star Trek ones, but don't tell anybody. Uh, oh, but, shocking, but, uh, shocking. They were, they were a gift. I didn't buy my ticket. That's, that's my excuse. I could see you walking in there with the bumpy <laughs> forehead. Oh, yeah. You know, because you have the Klingon hair already. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> both both on your head and on your face. So all you have to do is just put those little bumps there. Uh, no, not unless they paid me. But the- <laughs> <laughs> Has but, that uh, ever happened? Have you ever been an extra on a Star Trek presentation? No, that's a U.S. thing, though. You know, that's... that's oh, I yeah. guess so, I guess so. I've, had, I've been called Klingon in the past, but... And- <laughs> you have? Oh, I, so I'm, and- I'm, I'm, I'm touching on a... This is a yeah. touchy subject here for you, right? I touched a nerve. Not really. I mean, before that, it was Batman, uh, just because of the Bateman thing. And then okay, uh, yeah. I had Sinbad for a while, and then Klingon. Sinbad? Uh, and my, my Kung Fu instructor called me Jesus for about 15 years. Which Jesus. He never called me by my name at all. I think it was because I had long hair at the time. So oh, it was basically, yeah, right. I thought it was, he was brilliant, brilliant, but there you go. But uh, yeah, no, but getting back, to, <laughs> getting, back to, getting back to the convention, I mean, oh, the, the, just the wonderful kind of warm energy and, and just all the smiles and all the faces. It's just fantastic to be there. And, in, you know, every, everywhere you went, there was somebody being creative, creative in one way yes. or another. And, and, you know, you look at, you go to other conventions like, you know, comic conventions and stuff that I used to go to in the UK, even, even as far back as the 80s. And, and it never quite has that same spirit of creativity. And I know that it's a growing thing now with cosplay and stuff like that. But Star Wars seems to be so unique in its in the breadth of its creativity. Now, the fact that you've got all these different people. I mean, to get on point here, I know we, we talked about this before we kind of came on air, uh, Jimmy. But to, to just be kind of clear, clear for people who are listening, what I was saying to Jimmy was one of the things I felt that made this relevant to talk about and influences was uh, I looked at this and kind of thought, in a way, you know, what might be interesting to talk about this week would be just the way that Star Wars has influenced us rather than the other way around or other things have influenced Star Wars. Because, and, and Celebration is the best way of, you know, seeing that influence in full force. You know, I mean, you've got people that are, you know, uh, spending their, their savings on making the most amazing Astromax. You've got the most fantastic costumes that are being built by all kinds of people, you know, many of, many of whom we know. You know, and, and just this, this just this injection of creativity. But you can tell that everybody wants to have a go at it, no matter what their level of competence. And, and everybody just kind of embraces it and gives it all the thumbs up. No matter, you know, how well built a thing is, it's, it's like everybody just enjoys it. You know, it's, it's wonderful. You saw people kind of making Stormtrooper outfits out of cardboard boxes. And then, the ne- you know, in the next instance, you've got the likes of... Uh, uh, Kevin Weir, who's making the most fantastic, you know, screen accurate armor, um, you know, that's walking around and nobody knows whether it's the genuine article walk straight off a set, you know. So, but but just that that variety of of stuff is just is just so wonderful. And all the, I mean, I, I, it was nice to see John Farmer there, you know, who's ex Lucasfilm, but you know, he now, he now works for Disney as an Imagineer. And and uh, from the second you saw him, he had a smile on his face, and he was clearly over the moon about the the new rebels trailer and and couldn't wait to sort of you know make himself a costume and uh 
and uh, you know, do the convention circuit is is the new Rex and and all that, you know. So uh, I was just yeah, such a wonderful, wonderful energy. But I mean, the, obviously the highlight for for most people, and I'm, I'm sure it'll come as no surprise for me, you know from for me was just experiencing the trailer with you guys. You know, just getting to be at the uh, the behind the scenes stage and, and checking out the trailer was just oh, yeah. Oh, I mean that that feeling of you know, it was like the whole place was just going to explode with with overwhelming optimism about episode seven. I mean, when when Han, you know, first appears and does the whole, you know, uh, we're back. I mean, I'd, there were so many guys crying around me; it was unbelievable. Hey, Paul, do you re- do you remember what was happening right before the opening ceremonies, as far as what was going on backstage? Because just to pull the curtain back a little bit, um, we were freaking out a little bit because everything was happening at a specific time and our room hadn't opened up to the mm. public. Nobody was in there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And we're looking at our watches saying, well, this thing's going to start here in like two minutes. But they were there was a lot of crowd management going on. And mm. the spill off then went from the main arena into the digital stage into our stage. So it was like dominoes the way they would fall. So they were still loading up the digital stage with mm. with fans who couldn't make it into the main stage. And they were doing that before they started loading our stage. So I was freaking out because I was like, well, nobody can find our room. And they all want, they're dying to see it. There are people who want to see it. And it's starting in two minutes. So I'm like on the phone with David Collins. And he's like, no, man, don't. it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> they're loading up our room now. Just it's cool. So I'm like, all right, well, I, I, I can't worry about things I can't control. So I went and I sat down in the front row with Jason mm. and I'm pretty mm. sure you were there. We were. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. they started screening the opening ceremonies and I looked around the room and there were like 20 people in there. Okay. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh, well, this is just, this is awful. You know, nobody knows that we're screening here. So we watched it and they finally showed that trailer. And when they did, as promised, I jumped up and went to high five everyone in the room. And I'm like, this is quick. I'll really be able to do it. And I turn around and the place is packed and everyone is cheering at the top of their lungs. It scared the heck out of me. I don't, everyone came in so quiet. Either they came in so quietly or I was just so wrapped up in watching those opening ceremonies that I was just oblivious to everything around me. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was like the greatest audience ever, you know, you kind of, I mean, <clears throat> Athena and I just kind of, we realized that we needed to make haste and get, get backstage as quickly as we could. So we had a whole pull of getting in the building as, as, uh, it, well, we, anyway, we, we, we got in the building, we got beyond backstage and we, you know, hooked up with you guys and it was great to see you and all that. And then when we came out, I could already tell that you were both so kind of concerned that you wanted to do a great job and you wanted to make sure that everything ran without a, without a problem and uh you know you're trying to tickle all the, all, the, all the boxes and make sure that everybody you know was aware of what your situation was and and the fact that the place was empty and stuff like that and and then yeah like in a heartbeat it was it was just it was almost like you you and Jason were kind of like in shock you know and and kind of like just so full of excitement for the, for the, for what was about to come that 
that you're in a bit of a daze, I think, you know, because you had a chance to just kind of sit there and, and relax for a minute just and just let Lucasfilm kind of call the shots and, and let it all kind of pan out. And then um, and I, I remember turning around and, and the door just opened and the whole place just filled with people in a heartbeat. But everybody was so quiet. Yeah. Everybody came in and sat down and, like, nobody wanted to block anybody. Nobody wanted to, you know, all the phones went off, you know. And uh, everybody just kind of got in, sat down, shut up, and just were glued to the screen, like desperate to see the thing. And then, like you say, when the when after the trailer, the place just went up, didn't it? It, was, it went from silent to deafening in a heartbeat. But uh, yeah, yeah, fantastic experience and a way to see it. I mean, it was clear that there was no way that we were, you know, we would have got a look in at the at the main stage. But you know, for me, it was like there was no question about it. We had to see it with you and Jason. And and that was that was the way to do it, you know, to to, to experience it for the first time, and uh, yeah, amazing. And and just just what was I think one of the things that made it such an emotional experience for me was um, that you know those feelings of of kind of like that's a Ralph design, that's a Ralph design, that's a Ralph design, that's a Ralph influence, or you know, kind of popping up. And obviously, we've all got our own kind of perspective of what what was important to us when we looked at this trailer. But for me, that was that was the thing that just got moving. It was like, yeah, this really feels like. Ralph's had his hand in it, you know, so that was that was lovely. Ralph and Joe, obviously. But uh Joe yeah, Johnston, yeah. Yeah, and then um but I mean, oh wow. And then getting to see um BB eight properly was just <laughs> kind of like, I mean you know, especially a lot of people have been pointing out to me that BB eight is really at its roots a Ralph McQuarrie concept. That's right. I mean, I mean, yeah. I think I think Ralph Ralph's ideas were always ahead of the curve a little bit. You know, I mean, I, I remember when we were at Essen. You know, we were chatting to a, a bunch of the guys from, you know, the the, the uh, Macquarie Troopers, and we were talking to them about Ralph's um, armor designs that he actually did for the movie that didn't, you know, the, the aspects of the Stormtrooper armor that didn't make it through to the kind of finished Stormtrooper armor that you saw in the movie. And they were talking about all kinds of little things like just the way you know a curve was or you know the way that certain kind of shapes were in in the, in the armor and they all kept saying the same thing which was basically it's like ralph you know had imagined wearing it because his design was so much more comfortable than the one that turned up in the movie and and that was because ralph was considering you know what it would be like to wear it and he was he was treating it as real military gear he was thinking about you know if you were in a real real conflict what would this be like would it be comfortable you know when you bend over you know what would this plastic bit of plastic do would it dig into your leg or whatever and so his sketches are, are kind of bear all that in mind and and a lot of it was kind of ignored when it actually came to the sculpture of of the of the final armor you know they obviously made something that was quick and practical and and did the trick um but it's very different and and um but it seems to me that every every design that you know ralph com- comes up with that you know finally kind of makes it to the screen we begin to realize you know that it, in some way it's always more effective than than cutting corners or or, or uh not adhering to Ralph's designs. And and for me, it was just fantastic to sort of like suddenly join the dots. Like, although we'd seen that little teaser of, of BB-8 before, you know, actually seeing it in the flesh made me kind of realise this really is Ralph's idea that he had. Even though it's changed quite significantly, obviously there's, there's you know, some great new design elements that, that make it look very modern and, and very relevant. Um, you know, it's still based on Ralph's early, earliest concepts for R2, which were essentially a tube um, with a hemisphere on the top and a, a ball on the bottom. So, but you know, Ralph, Ralph knew or realized straight away that it would be next to impossible to build. And, um, what did you always, say? What, what did you say was on the top of the tube? Like a hemisphere. Oh, a hemisphere. Yeah, a hemisphere. You it's don't like want to a- know what I thought you said was on the, <laughs> you want to know what I thought you said? 
What do you think you said? I thought you said it was a tube with a hamster on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe there's a hamster inside BB-8. We don't know yet, do we? Could be. <laughs> maybe that's what's powering the whole thing. I'd buy hamsters. It's a hamster. Could be an outrage. <laughs> but hamsters will become collectible. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that'll, that'll be. That'll make. Um, yeah, Rancho Obuan suddenly very interesting, wouldn't it, with all the hamster pens? Yes, from chickens to hamsters. People are, do you know what made me wonder straight away, though, was like, oh, cool, cool robot, and then immediately went, hmm, I wonder what all the different ones will look like. Because, you know, obviously we've got a ton of auto units. Right. I wonder if we're going to get blue ones and green ones and, you know, all the colors of the rainbow. Yeah, some, some model builders out here in uh, the Chicago area, they built a uh, black and orange bb right. droid and uh it's pretty cool looking wicked yeah 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 but ralph ralph would love it and i mean i i, I just you know because i know it would have fascinated him i know he would have looked at it and kind of gone how the you know <laughs> i think that's what everyone's saying <laughs> it just love i think he would just love the ingenuity of it and the you know the the creativity behind that behind the idea i mean i i just love the the elements that uh weren't so obvious you know when you got in close to, to bb8's um Face as it were, you know, and you look inside his eye, you can see a lot of business going on behind that that lens, right? That's his eyepiece, you know. Whereas, obviously, with R two, it's pretty pretty plain, and, and it's essentially just a dome. Yeah, you know. If you look in that eye, you're going to see Kenny Baker staring back at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, probably a newspaper and a and a sandwich <laughs> or something. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, but lots of lots of business. You kind of get up close, and there are lots of little lights and lines and things like that behind the eyepiece. So. Yeah, really, really cool prop, and great to be able to get to see them up close in that in the uh, in the prop room too, right? Oh my God, that was a dream come true. I just hearing you bring that up kind of gives me the goosebumps on my arm because uh, that was really amazing. But uh, you know, the show is influences, and you, you brought up the fact that you saw a lot of influences from guys like Joe Johnson and Ralph McQuarrie while you were watching that trailer. Sure. So, so let's let's walk through it. Let's let's hear what you saw and hear how it connects to the past. Well, I mean, yeah, a lot of it is stuff that we've you know we've talked about before. But I mean, the th- the thing I would say is you know like if you put on the the prequel trailers, you know they are so different and unique. You know compared to the the OT, it's such a such a unique vision. It's a very a very um, separate vision. You know, and they all connected clearly, and they're all one big story. But visually, it looks very, very different because you've got that thirty-year gap. But with this, you know, here, here we are with a similar gap, but there are so many familiar elements, aren't there? You know, elements that we didn't get in the prequels, and just the fact that you know so many of Joe's designs and and Ralph's designs are coming back. I mean, the fact that you've got the X-wing with a split wing, you know, like 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 Ralph's you know early concept paintings that's that's actually based on a on a Joe sketch, and bb8 himself and then um you know a lot of the other armor and and, and equipment like the fact that the stormtroopers now look much more like stormtroopers than clone troopers clearly because they've gone that direction um and and just every little element i mean the fact that the falcon's back in there and obviously that's an old joe design and uh the star destroyers although they're different you know they're 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 clear and you know much more kind of OT than anything we saw in the prequel trilogy. All right, which which star destroyers are you talking about? The ones that have crashed into the sand planet? No, or, there's, there's, a, there's a big one in space, right. isn't there? So there is there is you know there's there's one that's got a few extra tiers and stuff like that that looks like a a super 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 star destroyer. Yeah, well, it's hard for me at least to make out the detail there in that <laughs> that glimpse we get just because it's a a tight shot on those shuttles approaching yeah. the. Uh, 
the ship itself. So what are you seeing when you see that Star Destroyer that makes it different? It looks like it's much deeper. You know, like there are it's many, many more tiers. You know, like if you look at the original Star Destroyer models, you'll notice that it kind of goes, it steps up three times and that's that, you know, like these three little plateaus up to the up to the bridge of the or the the tower of the of the Star Destroyer. But with that one it looks like there's there's a lot more depth to it and there's a lot more layers to it. So it looks like it's a, a really interesting shape. So I imagine as they spin it around, it's gonna look really different from the old Star Destroyers. I think I think it's gonna look, you know, like a much huger object. That's the impression I'm getting from it. You know, that although it looks more like the old sort of Star Destroyers than the ones that we saw in the uh the, the Republic uh cruisers that we saw in um in the prequel trilogy i, I still i still think it's going to look i don't know it's going to have the same feeling that we got i think from from the ot even though it looks very very different but the the what's interesting to me is is the way that they've they've clearly kind of you know the, the ways that modern technology have allowed them to design things differently like you know i mean we talked about this before that red five and the whole kind of you know the 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 red markings on the original x-wings and, and what have you that kind of came as a result of them not being able to call it Blue Squadron or put blue markings on the ships because they were concerned about that creating problems when they put it in front of a blue screen. And uh, now, of course, it's less of an issue because we've got green screens and you know digital you know versions of of dogfights and stuff like that. And so they can colour things any colour they want. And then there's also the, the 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 sort of aspects of they used to have to worry about with the tie fights and stuff like that if if things were too thin and narrow because they could get lost, you know, with the lights illuminating from behind, they might get kind of, they might be too thin to be picked up, picked up by camera. And it could look really strange when it's superimposed over stars and stuff like that. But now they can essentially make things as thin as they like, because obviously with a computer graphics, it's, it's, it's much easier to do these, you know, stack uh, one image on top of another and get a really clear, you know, um, uh, vision of a spaceship, no matter what color it is. But it's strange now that all the colours have changed and stuff like that, but the designs look really familiar. So even the TIE Fighters, although they look like old-school TIE Fighters, you know, all the colours have been swapped around and they're kind of, you know, they're, they're very different looking. But, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be weird to sort of see something that's evolved on sort of 30 or 40 years and yet, you know, feels old-school. It's kind of confusing, isn't it? Because we're kind of going in both directions. We're going, we're going back in terms of it's like the 70s stuff, but we're yeah. going forward in terms of kind of bringing in things in like, you know, iPhone elements into Stormtroopers and things like that. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a weird ball to juggle, I think. You know, I don't want to make a big deal about that whole iPhone Stormtrooper thing. That kinda, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm surprised to hear you bring that up. I really am. Oh, that's just me proving that I listen to the show, you see, when I'm not on it. Yeah. I'm still, <laughs> well, I never doubt that. Making sure that Jason's not, you know, his feelings aren't hurt, you know. Are you kidding me? You probably listen to more episodes of Rebel Force Radio than Jason has, really. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, did you, did you guys, I mean, what made me laugh was immediately upon walk, walking into that prop room, I, you know, I saw the, the snow trooper that had, like, Ralph did some uh, markings on, uh, there's a painting that he did of the uh, snow troopers uh, approaching Echo Base. Uh, for Empire Strikes Back, and uh, there are some markings on one of the helmets that that turned up on on some of the snowtrooper arms. Was it on his? Was it on like the chest plate area? Yeah, on the chest plate. And I knew I saw that somewhere before. I yeah. knew it. I knew it. So that's a Ralph design. Yeah, it's a straight lift. As soon as I walked in, I was like, "Oh wow, look, they've just literally just copied Ralph's design." It's just like a line in a box. Can you describe what it is? 
It's just kind of like an abstract symbol, you know. I mean, it almost looks like a language, but clearly it's not. It's some kind of a symbol that's that's very kind of. A lot of Ralph's kind of you know, early concept art had symbols that had a slightly kind of like Arabic feel, but like almost kind of like a techno Arabic or something. But then I guess you know the old Tatooine thing was was a factor. So that but, that's okay. you know I'm glad you brought that up. It was driving me nuts mm. where I had seen that before. Mm. It was cold. Oh, this right? coffee is cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so it's awful um but yes okay so i know the symbol you're talking about and so i'll put it up on our facebook page so people know what you're talking about um, yeah, oh was, god that was driving me crazy okay good mystery solved <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it's just the general kind of you know feel that the the push they seem to be pushing for of you know that old school mixed with brand new, you know, I think it's a really exciting time to be watching Star Wars. And I think the designers seem to be doing a great job. I mean, it, it's, I mean, Rick Carter and Darren Guilford who are both the production designers are just so brilliant at what they do. And, uh, I've got a lot of respect for them as, as designers and, and they're both incredibly smart people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, yeah. You've worked with these guys before. No, I haven't. I have friends who work with them. Uh, in fact, somebody said to me the other week, like Rick Carter is, is definitely, on, on a list of people I should definitely work for because he's just he's incredibly smart. He starts talking about all kinds of – you get, get him talking about design, he gets very deep. He starts talk, talk, talking about four-dimensional design and stuff like that, and it, a lot of it goes over your head, you know. <laughs> wow. And <laughs> so, my head. Like, so do you know what else he's worked on? Oh, God, is, there's a list about a mile long. He's done everything. I know, I know Darren's he's, – he's become quite known for, for Tron Legacy. So, I mean, the, the thing that's quite interesting about those two guys is the fact that they've both worked on such large projects that normally you'd expect one of them to just be calling the shots. And the fact that we've got two two guys of that stature is pretty hardcore because it's like, wow, like any other movie and one of them could handle it. Because this is episode seven, it's like they need two production designers, which is, that, I, I mean, that's such a rare thing, you know. Yeah. So, but I, I guess time is a huge factor too. They obviously have to be working simultaneously and, you know, dividing up the, the workload. So. You know, I remember at the time when we first heard about episode seven happening, I was thinking, there's no way they're going to get this done in time for 2015. But clearly this was a big factor in it. It was like, you've got two production designers leading two separate teams. So, you know, that's, you know, that's how they've managed to achieve it in such such short thrift. So, but yeah, amazing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm losing my train of thought here, but I, I was just sort of, yeah, I mean, everything about that trailer just got me excited, and obviously everybody was, I mean, I, did you hear any negativity about it at all, Jimmy, at the convention? Was everybody kind of as upbeat as we were? I mean, it seemed to me like the whole place was elated. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and you had the grand finale of Han Solo popping up on the screen, and so you're seeing Harrison Ford as Han for the first time in 30 years. I, I, yeah. I mean, it was uh, just an incredible moment. Um, there is only one thing in that, about that whole trailer that I've heard people complain about, and that mm. is when the Falcon goes into the Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. Well, Super Star Destroyer at some point out, didn't he? And they zoom it. It's like a rush zoom. Yeah. Uh-huh. And people fear that that's too much of a J.J. Abrams move and not necessarily a Star Wars move. I argue that by saying there's mm-hmm. a, a similar zoom in Attack of the Clones during yeah. the Battle of Geonosis. And Grace, you, yeah. see, you see uh, uh, one of those, uh, those walkers that the clone mm-hmm. army used. And they zoom in. To the window, yeah. and mm-hmm. you see a clone trooper commanding the troops. So yeah. 
so it's been used before by George himself in Star Wars. Mm. I mean, I, I think you know. Um, I mean, I, I've I have strong feelings about this, as, as does Carl Newman. Yeah, you know, yeah. We often debate about this, and I know, uh-huh. I know Carl is very. Um, although, although Carl is very kind of progressive in terms of like pre, you know prequels and and OT, you know, totally on an equal footing with with Carl, and yeah, you know, it's great. You know, whereas clearly I have a strong preference for for the OT now. I love the prequels too. But when it comes to to you know the way that they're shot and the way that George handled them these movies and and you know what's okay and what's not, me and you had that big debate a, a while ago about whether or not you could you could really have a Star Wars movie that feels like a Star Wars movie if they change the music from John Williams, and and I remember saying that you know for me I'd I'd probably have quite a hard time if it didn't at least sound a bit like what what he did you know something that was kind of like a more progressive score I, I think I'd feel like i wasn't watching a star wars movie and and the same applies for certain types of camera movement i think if they suddenly turn this into kind of like a bullet time matrix fest where you've got camera moves that you know where it's flipping about all over the place and it feels like it's computer controlled mm-hmm. uh, in, in in a more modern kind of computer gamey kind of way it, it, it could take me out of it really really quickly um because that's not really what george did you know and he, he always as we're all kind of aware he was trying to give it a little bit of a feel of you know, a documentary vibe, and and he and he, he liked to do that that thing quite a lot, where you know things are actually quite badly framed, and then the camera moves to reframe thing, reframe things like they've just kind of caught a moment, and it gives it that documentary feel, even if it's been meticulously planned and and um, it's taken ages to engineer the shot in a you know in an optical compositor and stuff like that. He still likes to give it that feel of like a relaxed kind of documentary sort of cinema verte sort of type thing. But I've always said that you know. I, th- I think it, it's time for, for Star Wars to kind of progress because when you look at it, if we if we shot a film the way that we shot films back in the 1940s, Star Wars would look terrible. And uh, although I think that George is such a sort of significant part of Star Wars, obviously he's, he's a huge part of what makes Star Wars what it is, um, you know, they can't go too far. But I, I, I think they do have to progress a little bit in order to sort of maintain you know, a level of excitement with the younger audience. I think that kids these days are used to sort of seeing very dynamic moves and, you know, very crazy shots in computer games and cutscenes and stuff like that. So you might be quite surprised at how sedentary Star Wars could look if, if they didn't begin to progress and make these, make changes and, and use more modern techniques. You know, I think it's, I think it's essential. I think they have to do that a little bit. And I think, I think that JJ certainly has a sensitivity in the smarts to kind of, you know, um, show some restraint with that and, and kind of, you know, push it a little bit. So we kind of feel like we're getting something exciting and new, but not so far as we feel like we're totally in a different tennis court. You know, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's going to work. And I'm, I like that shot. I thought, yeah, for the record, I do too. (laughs) For the record, I do too. So, uh, but that is a complaint I had heard and Mm. yeah, not for me though. Yeah. So, okay. Interesting, Paul. Interesting. Um, so, uh, the, 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 the force awakens, Teaser trailer mm. number two gets a big thumbs up from you. That was a highlight of celebration. Most most people yeah. would say that, but I like how you're really honest about it. Where the first thing you talk about, and uh, the, the the thing that made the biggest impact on you was being around all the fellow fans and oh, the, yeah. the social aspect of everything. And and I, I I think really when people think hard, long and hard about Star Wars celebration, that is the thing that will stick out as being the most gratifying and the thing that will make the longest impression on you 
as you yeah. move forward as a as a fan and as a person. You know, I mean, uh, the the relationships get that get made at these things. Obviously, you know, you and me, we first met at Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. And, uh, we, you know, I mean, yeah, that's hard to believe, right? When you think of it, it's, you know, I'm here, I'm listening to you talk. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, this is wonderful for Paul. He's made so many friends. It's, he's such a happy-go-lucky guy. That's so good for him. I'm so, I'm, pr- I'm happy for him is what I'm saying. And I'm like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. He's talking about us. <laughs> he's talking about us. Because well, I- we did meet at a Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I mean, what's nice to me is, you know, obviously I can't list off every single person that, that you know we cross paths with but i mean just a handful you know when i think about how star wars has influenced these people and you know like at at conventions end at the end of every day when you know everybody's turfed out and you're back in the back in the real world and you're out in the street hanging out with you know all 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 your fellow fans the fun hasn't stopped and it's like the convention is no less happening like even though the doors to the convention center have closed for the evening you know, it's it's just like it feels like one constant, you know, one hundred percent Star Wars experience from start to finish, from the from the day you touch down at the airport to the day that you leave. You know, it just feels like one hundred percent Star Wars the whole whole time. And for me, it's like one of those things where if everybody else was staying, you know, the convention would still feel just as alive and just as active, even if the convention had stopped, but everybody was still around. You know, what I mean, just to hang out with you guys and and obviously, you know, there's everybody knows Kyle and and Dave Collins and, you know, uh, that whole posse, FJ and Kyle and all that gang. But, I mean, some of the other fans, too, that were hanging around. I mean, just the fact, like, it was it was so nice to meet Dan, uh, Dean Yalaran, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and listen to his music at last. You know, like, even though we'd sort of spoken on, on the internet loads and loads and loads, but we'd never actually got face-to-face. And then, and then when we finally did kind of bump into each other, it was like we'd just met each other for ages, you know. And then yeah, uh, yeah. Gilbert, you know, uh, <laughs> Valenzuela, sure. who, uh, you know, he clearly used to do a lot of the photography for you guys and whatever, you know, and, and I've, I've been doing work with, with him online and, and stuff like that a little bit, helped him out here and there. And Gilbert turns up at the Rebel Force radio party with a Daft Punk helmet for me, completely out of the blue, just as a gift, just, just being friendly, you know. And wow. It, it was, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know anything about this. And so you can actually put this on your head? <laughs> yeah. Well, what, well, can I have a, a photo of you wearing <laughs> that helmet? Can I have that, please? Wearing that with the, the Rubble Force radio shirt. Got it. Okay. I'll Can you please that. do that? I'll be much more exciting if it's a picture of Athena in the Rebel Force radio shirt. Trust me. Oh, yes. Yeah, a lot more interesting. That will but, be, uh, Yes, I like that. I, I like it. It's good. <laughs> Tell her to pretend she's doing the test. When Got she's, it. Okay. You, you know what I mean by that, right? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Good. It's an inject, yeah. But anyway, you know that that whole gang, and then you know all the all the Ralph Posse, like Stan and John and the Sanders and Larry and Libby Noble and all that, all that crap. Just this huge. I mean, I could sit here and list a thousand people, you sure. know, but I won't. But you know, and we all know each other through Star Wars. You know, we've all been brought together by Star Wars, like you say. And I, I just think that's such a beautiful thing. And I, I know that makes me sound like a terrible hippie, um, but you know, <laughs> I, I just think that's such a such a great thing. And I know, I know that. You know, I'm sure that sports like that for some people. You know, where sport kind of brings them together. But uh, that that's not been my experience of, yeah. of sport in my life. 
you know, and it's so hit or miss. It's hit or miss. Yeah, you know. So for me, it's a very unique experience. I mean, it really does feel like a gathering of the tribes. You know, especially when you, you know, is the more times you come, the more times you notice. All oh, right, that's the R two guys, and that's you know, that's the that's the the Belgians, and that's the five hundred first, that's the Rebel Legion, and you know, all these little kind of like sub tribes. You know, that that always come, and it. I just think it's such a special experience to, to, to be around all that. And, and how amazing it is that these movies have just, you know, inspired people to do all these wonderful creative things. And, you know, you chat to people and you think like you've, you've spent an eternity sort of like, I mean, you know, just talking to, 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 uh, Kevin Weir, you know, about, about his armor building and, and he clearly has been a Star Wars fan since he was a kid. And he's learned all these skills that, that, you know, that you need in order to build armor. And he knows all about, fabrication and now he works as a prop builder he does you know? so he's kevin yeah. is a prop builder with uh the films uh with well, the star yeah. wars films well, I, don't, I don't know if he's involved in that directly with the new movies but i think it's inevitable that eventually you know it, it, that's the kind of thing he'll end up doing i mean kevin he does work in the film industry but he's based out in the u.s so at the moment i don't think he's involved with episode seven that much or if at all but but he, he he's he's one of these things where you never ask just in case you know <laughs> right, so, right. but but his but his armor is so amazing See, I, I have no idea how that works i'm i'm i ask everyone everything so really yeah well i never like to put people on the spot because it's one of these things where it's like everybody signed an nda and even saying no sometimes is a bit of a giveaway you know if you if you say to somebody like did you work on episode seven and they kind of go mm, you know they don't want to say no but they don't want to say yes either and or, so they, kind of, or they you know. say no is a question uh no no <laughs> That's my favorite. The no with the question mark on it. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, this guy signed some papers. I get it. Okay. Yeah. But then even people that we know from, you know, from within the business, like, you know, I mean, just hanging out with, you know, Matt, Matt Morton and, and his gang playing Sabak with that lot. Now, that was know, fun. That was a great night. I mean, just, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, I think, I think we had the, the world's first Sabak tournament, right? Wasn't well, that right? Okay. Well, at Star Wars Celebration, for people who don't know. Because I don't think a lot of people would know, because the only way that you could get this premium was by visiting the cantina mm. that StarWars.com was using as a television set. And I think they were being very selective as to who was in and out. I think they wanted specific cosplayers there to add a vibe to their... I mean, it was an amazing set. Let's just face it. It was an amazing set, the cantina. And... um they used it and used it well, and it it was it had that vibe because there were so many cosplayers in there. So I don't think they were just letting people randomly walk through it. If mm. you were a guest, you were handed a, a set of cards, playing cards. I have it right in front of me. Um, the uh, Cantina Sabac cards. I have not opened mine yet, and I understand that they're going for a nice penny on eBay these days. <laughs> But uh, I received mine because we visited the cantina right after Smuggler's Bounty. How come I didn't get any? I was there. You were there? <laughs> yeah, I was backstage. Well, I okay. Know. Yeah, I, I, I know you were there. I, I, I thought so. So I walked into the back area because I really wanted to get a feel for it. And it was spooky weird being back there because you really felt like you were on set. You felt like you were in Tatooine. You thought you were in Moss Eisley. Yeah, and they did a so, yeah, they did a great job. So um, so I have the cards, and uh, Kyle wanted to have everyone up to his room that night, Saturday night, 
to kind of celebrate, uh, you know, smugglers and everything. And we had a great crew with us up there, and everyone was playing with these new Sabak cards. And Matt Martin came up there, and he knew all the rules because I think maybe Matt might have had a hand in creating the rules for the game. I don't know. He did. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's what he said, yeah. I think. So mm. he was coaching us on how it all goes down, and we had a big tournament happening there. And it's so funny. It was really funny. It was a was, fun crowd. I was trying to help Kyle because he was like, tell me what you think I should do. And I was looking at it, and he had like the worst hand you could ever have. <laughs> we were like, wasn't the general idea that you – do you remember the rules? I mean, essentially, <sighs> it was it's kind of like one of these things where you've got to hit the right number, and if you go too high, you can kind of – you can get minus cards as well as plus cards, so you can keep – you know, go and hit me with another card, and you you might actually still go down in numbers. So, like, you know, when you hit 23 or whatever, it's like you can ask for another card even though what you really need is 21, you know? But and, and so, don't the cards then change somehow? It's yeah, There's yeah, a whole thing. Cards, as well as plus cards, don't they? But he just kept getting plus cards, so he ended up with a hand of about 240. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you have to get close to 23, that's... Yeah. Pure Sabak is that the the way the game's yeah. played? So I think if a Falcon had been in play, I think Matt would have walked away with it, with it, no doubt. I think that Carl would have been lucky to get, you know, a wheel. <laughs> a wheel. <laughs> yeah. So but, uh, that that was a lot of fun, though, and that's just one of those things that can only happen at a Star Wars celebration, and and so we're, uh, it, we're we have a good time there. Have we uh, have we exhausted your? Uh, your love for the event, <laughs> or do you still have a couple other things to throw in there? It was nice to, I mean, what was nice was you just kind of feel as though the, the Star Wars fans kind of, you know, spill over and, and just occupy the whole neighborhood. And when we went around, went around Disney and we, you know, we were kind of scooting about, it was, it was just, it was fantastic to get to a chance to sort of talk to Matthew Wood properly. I know you guys are friends anyway, but I've never had a chance to talk to him and, it's just just cool to kind of like hang about, but but um, you know every now and again you just bump into Star Wars fans and they were just the coolest people, you know, just super nice. Nobody was like kind of super weird or anything like that, you know. Even though some of the folks we were with were recognisable Star Wars fans and stuff like that, everybody was really respectful and friendly, and it's just yeah, just such a great time all around. But I mean, the thing I was getting at, I guess, Jimmy, was just the fact that you know it just seems like Star Wars is such a positive influence on everybody it touches. And whether it's, you know, whether it's just kind of making people feel better with their lot in life or whether it's actually kind of like life changing and kind of, you know, changes what career you do or, you know, who you hang about with. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's always such a positive thing. And, you know, I mean, Athena and I were talking about this a while ago and people may not realize, but like years ago I applied for, for uh, uh, there was actually an advert in a magazine um, for extras for Phantom Menace. And uh, this is way back in like the mid nineties, uh, way before they kind of needed them. And it turned out that they, they kind of changed the tune, and the, the advert should have been cancelled. Um, but you know, um, at the time, I remember kind of applying for it and thinking, like, well, that could be a laugh, you know, like, like I'll have to try that. And it, it didn't get me anywhere, but but it did end up, you know, resulting me kind of you know having stuff to do with this agency. And eventually, I ended up spending a lot of time on set and knew a lot of these people. And so eventually, you know, I, I met Athena on K-Stage at Shepparton, which is where they filmed all the uh, Yavin 4 stuff. So the Rebel base and what have you is where I met Athena. You know, and then... You're the fact me. That, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And then the fact that she had the same birthday as Carrie Fisher was a talking point. <laughs> uh, and it was weird, you know, because it was like, oh, wow, this is kind of like this girl's, like, my princess, you know? like, And uh, it sounds corny, but that, 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 all the Star Wars omens were all great for it. <laughs> the Star 
Wars Omens. That's what we're going to change the name of this show to. Star Wars Omens <laughs> with Paul Damien Bateman. But yeah, hey, that's great. I've I never heard the story about how you and Athena met or where you met. Yeah, you know, so so basically the only reason we met was because of my love for Star Wars in the first place. That's what took me there, you know. And then, and then you know, all of our friends, you know, when you think about most of our friends are Star Wars fans, you know, and that it's, it's pulled us all together. And I think that's fantastic because, you know, I think my friends are fantastic and, and uh, I feel very, very lucky to, to know everybody that I know, you know, and, and be doing the job that I'm doing as a result of Star Wars too, you know. So uh, I just think... Star Wars is amazing, an amazing influence on all of us, and I'm so glad that we've got it. And, and it just seems to be, to me, that that you know, going forward, that it's in such good hands, and that that you know, that all of us are just going to love it more and more as time goes by. And and, and I mean, when I saw the the, the trailer for the um, uh, Rogue One, was the, the the little teaser that they showed at the convention. That that was the the one where I kind of made me sort of sit up and kind of go, oh, this feels kind of different. You know, and this feels new, and this maybe is a kind of Star Wars that we've not had before, and maybe this is influenced by something other than Star Wars. Because watching it, it sort of seemed as though it was it was potentially much edgier and much darker. You know, because I mean, I'm sure you know more than I did, Jimmy, but from the audio track, you know, it kind of felt like more sinister than Star Wars has been in the past. You know, even though Star Wars is called Star Wars for a reason, you know, the the, the wars aspect of it is generally quite pulpy and very kind of you know fun and action packed and. And what have you? And it never gets grim and gritty and you know, kind of uh, capillarish. You know, it's not like Apocalypse Now. You know, but um, Rogue One had a bit of that vibe. It kind of felt like, oh yeah, this could be quite edgy and quite quite dark. You know, but then it was just kind of a mood reel and and not a proper trailer. So who knows if it's going to truly reflect what the finished thing will be like? But uh, it it does make you wonder about you know how how varied Star Wars may become and. Right. and uh, you know, how influenced by other things it might be, you know, because right now we've got a quite a specific, you know, uh, definition of what Star Wars is. And it's, it's clearly based upon all the things that influenced Star Wars originally, you know, and, uh, but now maybe Star Wars is going to start to get influenced by stuff that came after Star Wars, which is a strange period to, to be a Star Wars fan, you know, and who knows, uh, what we're, what we're going to find ourselves watching. I mean, Rogue One to me, it almost felt like it had, um, something common with like predator or something like that. Yeah, that feeling of, you know, being lost in the jungle, you know, but, uh, but we're know. just basing it off of a vibe we're getting from, yeah. from, yeah, from just, something that's been described as mm. a, uh, motion movie poster. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, these things are, you know, they're not put out for no reason. I mean, I know, I know mm. that it's not been put out to general release, you know, but I mean, it was shown to thousands of fans. So, you know, um, I mean, the only other thing I'd say, Jimmy, is, is you know, the one thing that always makes me happy about these conventions too is that it's just so wonderful to see all the kids. You know, it's just great to see, like, young kids who are younger than I was when the original movie came out, you know, who obviously love it every bit as much as I do, you know, and that's just so fantastic to me to sort of, like, think that Star Wars really is forever and that, uh, you know, these these events can do nothing but, but you know, promote that happening, well- Considering the potential of Rogue One being something that might be more adult and more gritty, mm. but yet seeing how Star Wars began as a franchise for kids primarily and has yeah. grown as a franchise for kids primarily, mm. but the only difference is, is that the kids have primarily grown. <laughs> and so now we're all adults still <laughs> loving Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, just the longevity it has um, on on our own personal journeys is, is 
really incredible to think of too the grip that it has on fandom but if you're going to be developing different types of star wars star wars that has you know different like maybe a, a more gritty nature or more uh graphically violent or darker in nature are mm. kids going to latch on to that or are we going to see separation we're going to see star wars for the adults and star wars for the kids yeah you're more I mean, than I'm- welcome they're interchangeable to an extent mm. and you're more than welcome to like them all but there are might be star wars that will require a little parental guidance you know I mean, I, I think that's kind of in a way is almost what we have, but going in the opposite direction. You know, I mean, I remember talking to a number of concept artists who shall remain nameless. Um, uh, and we were chatting about the difference between the prequels and, and, the, and the original trilogy. And, and we, were, we were showing them all the love, you know, but at the same time we were sort of saying that the prequels is clearly for a very different audience, you know. And I appreciate that there are some people out there who, who hold them both in an equal footing like Carl does, you know. But... For me, it's not a question of kind of like one being better than the other. It's, it's a question of them kind of being designed for a different audience, a different, potentially a different age. I think there's no, there's no doubt that aspects of Phantom Menace are definitely kind of targeting a much younger audience or aspects of it anyway. And uh, so for me, I think like people have had to get adjusted to that already. People have had to get used to the fact that, okay, the prequel trilogy maybe is a little younger in places. And then other places, it's really dark and sinister and political and, and all that. And that maybe is intended for an older audience. But it's kind of all over the map as it is. But, yeah, stylistically, we've not had to get used to something that's been radically different in terms of style. And, but then at the same time, we've had, we've had generations of, of us have been looking at the EU and reading books and comic books and, and you name it. And we've had a chance to get used to all kinds of stories set in the Star Wars universe. So maybe we're already kind of quite prepared for it to be different. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for for me, the the one thing is, you know, I as long as the the, the chaptered you know um, episodes continue to really really feel like the the the, the main six movies, then I'm a ha- I'm a happy bunny. Um, and they can they can kind of they can be as strange as they like with the with the uh, with the ancillary films, the anthology movies. Um, and, and I, I quite look forward to sort of seeing you know how they might experiment, but. As long as they don't lose sight of what what you know a uh, uh, quote unquote real Star Wars movie is, you know, like in terms of what the original movies were, I, th- I, th- I think they it's important that they don't, you know, we never lose that feeling of of going to a to a real Star Wars film, you know, where it's it's got all the, all the qualities that we expect from one of those movies. It's got the Williams soundtrack. It's got the it's got the fun. It's got the humor. It's not too heavy. It's not too dark. And yet at the same time, it's got a mythological component and all these other things that we've we've spoken about before. And that it, it maintains a certain look. You know, my my only thing my only thing is, um, you know, I hope to at one point get round to uh, writing a sort of like some kind of a uh, an essay on the design of Star Wars at some point, Jimmy. Because for me, I kind of feel as though there's a lot of homogenization going and happening in the design world at the moment, and a lot of that, you know, uh, film-wise, is coming from people kind of going to the same design schools and uh, uh, being inspired by the same designers as opposed to being inspired by the world, you know. And if you look at a lot of the concept designers that existed back in the seventies, you know, they had very unique lives and were doing very unique things. You look at, you know, uh, Ralph Macquarie fighting in Korea or. You know, um, Joe Johnson's personal experience and his love of Mobius and, and heavy metal and stuff like that, you know, meant that these guys are coming at it from a very unique standpoint. Whereas now, you know, there are concept design academies. You know, you can go there and you can go and study to be a, a movie designer, which wasn't possible back in the 70s. Right. 
so there's a certain homogenization appearing. Uh, the example I would give you is if you if you take the the Batman suit of the last few movies and and you change the head between like RoboCop and um, I'm trying to think. There's a couple of other examples I could I could cite and an Iron Man and and change the color basically any of the bodies would work mm-hmm. because they're designing the same software and the software starting to show its its presence you know so it's it's, it's playing a big part in the way things are designed oh. and so for me it's like with try not to go too deep into it but basically the tools are starting to show yeah. and for, for me it's like i kind of feel like star wars is a very specific design direction and it has to evolve but there are there are certain things that if they change it it's just going to look like any other sci-fi movie and it would be easy to take a misstep right now they don't seem to have done that mm. but as, as things expand and go off in different directions i think it's going to be more and more important that they kind of look backwards you know just to make sure that they're, they're not losing the the vital stuff that really makes it feel uniquely Star Wars. you know wow that's pretty interesting insight is uh, how the effects are uh, are used and then yeah. You know, how the software gets recycled and then, yeah, it starts to show I'm, itself. Yeah. I'm aspect. There is, there are certain, like, there are, there are programs you can use where basically you can kind of, you can design a suit of armor in 3D mm-hmm. and then you, you can leave a tool running that randomizes the surface of the armor, for instance, and you can come back two hours later and you've got 50 different designs. So it's a time thing. It, it can kind of automatically change your design for you, kind of using these weird randomizers. I know I'm getting a bit a bit uh too geeky yeah but- real techie you're, we're going behind the scenes so <laughs> so save a little bit of that for your essay that you're gonna write <laughs> yeah, I, I have a title for you too stop boring the listeners i yeah. have a title for the essay we could call it the happy bunny on star wars design <laughs> and you'll be the happy bunny that's right yeah so as long as everything goes according to plan but be- before we run out of time since yeah. there's been so much being brought up about how the the Star Wars Rebels team is being influenced by the work of Ralph McQuarrie and concept design for the films that was never used. Mm. Wow. You know, we've seen the season two Rebels premiere. Wow. Yeah, right, right. So let's let's start with Darth Vader himself. I mean, (sighs) do you see them going to Ralph McQuarrie's design for Darth? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, first of all, I have to say, like, uh, open mouth and set foot, because I mean, out of behind the scenes here, folks, like you know, that that of all of us, I surprisingly I've been the one most lukewarm about rebels, you know, and yet and yet I was one of the most open, openly outspoken people in terms of like Clone Wars is amazing, Clone Wars is amazing, loved it right from straight away, you know. But rebels has taken me a long time to kind of get comfortable with it, and uh, whereas the rest of the boys, they were all just totally like, yeah, it's amazing, Paul, don't be an idiot. <laughs> well, no, not quite. We didn't say it that way, but we do. We do have theories on why you were sort of maybe a little standoffish toward rebels. Was that what? Just because um, I'm stupid and British? No, no, no. We we did not take that into account. But now that you bring it up, <laughs> yeah, um, no. But I, we just thought that maybe because they were being so outspoken in saying that they were going to be going back to Ralph's design. I think that you went through a period of skepticism because you are so close to the work of Ralph McQuarrie. Uh, you knew Ralph. He's been a huge influence on you. you. I've said it before. You're a Ralph McQuarrie protege, and I, I think I can say that legitimately so. So yeah. there might be people who are not legitimate Ralph McQuarrie protégés who are now taking Ralph's work and repurposing it. And so I was just wondering if maybe you had an issue with that. Uh, 
not consciously for sure, you know, because I think all the, you know, having met the the folks over at uh, yeah, you know, firstly at the Clone Wars art department, and then and then at the you know the rebels folks and stuff like that, it's clear to me that there's nothing but love coming out of those people. Okay, so not consciously, but so do you need to lie down on the couch? Do we need to get this out of you? We need to have this cathartic moment with you. I'll tell you what it is, what I think it is is like, is like you know Ralph. Ralph was kind of quite a, a kind of a purist about his designs to a certain extent. He could be he played well with us as others as a designers, you know, which is was a designer, which is something that a lot you know a lot of designers don't, you know. So that's that's something I always admired about Ralph was that he, he was very modest and very prepared to sort of like share share a design with people and and be open to its its changes and working with other people's work and stuff like that. So Ralph would be the first person I would say to embrace the and and celebrate the the use of his his work in rebels so i i know i'm certainly would have thought it was a a, a good thing because i know i know he was happy about its inclusion in in uh in clone wars you know um but at the same time you know ralph was very kind of specific about how a thing should look and you know whenever licensing kind of came to to ralph to um you know uh create something that that was based off a of ralph design if they weren't careful, they could be there for a year trying to, you know, trying to get revisions until it was exactly what Ralph had in mind because he had a very specific, you know, um, he saw things very in a very real way. And even though he was drawing a thing, he could see it in, in three-dimensional space in his head and he could see the finished article in his head even if you couldn't, you know. And um, so for me, like any 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 changes at all to, to Ralph's designs, for me, kind of almost feel uh, sacrilegious, I guess, on some subconscious level. That's probably what's going on. And so... A simplification that's a necessary simplification, you know, for animation is 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 something that kind of to me for me t- took a little while to get used to. I think I think that there's there's a, a, a cartoonish aspect to some of the designs that I I was a little uncomfortable with at first, um, but gradually I've kind of grown accustomed to the style and indeed love it. Um, and and I think a straightforward representation of like one of Ralph's designs just simply wouldn't work. So it's 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 totally necessary and totally the way to go. Um, but I think part of it was just the fact that it, you know it kind of felt like such a young show initially, and uh, a lot of the, a lot of the bright colours and the oranges and the checkerboards and things like that. I think I found a little a little jarring, you know, because it wasn't really aimed at forty something guys. It's aimed at kids too, you know. So mm. it, it's got to be colourful and look great on a on a school knapsack, you know. Um, so it, it's 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 commercial kind of animation design, but then season two, you know, it it just it, it like kicked me in the teeth in terms of like, uh, look, this is a show that's for everybody, just like uh, Clone Wars uh, was, and uh, and the designs will look great and the lighting will look amazing, and obviously Joel Aaron always always brings his A game whether he's working on animation or in a movie, and and uh, you know, Dave is is clearly a huge fan. And uh, talking to ABC, you know, um, Amy Beth Christensen backstage and stuff about about Ralph, you know, it, it was it was clear that everybody was trying their best to sort of make it as Ralphy as possible, and and it's apparent, uh, especially in season two, that that you know it's just a love letter to Ralph in in many respects, and I really respect that, and I really I'm really happy that that Rebels exists, and I'm glad that they're going in the direction that they are though, because there were so many characters that I loved in Clone Wars, you know, both visually and in terms of just personality and character and stuff like that. And I'm so glad that they've come back. I, I can't see enough of Ahsoka and I, you know, and the fact that Rex is returning and, and the Miyazaki um, influence too, you know, it's quite clear that Dave's a big Miyazaki fan for sure. And, yeah. uh, 
and that's starting to show up in the trailer, you know, that with some of the landscapes and oh. and environments. I mean, the way the way that the the, the six legged walkers kind of designed, and you know, it has a it has an element of the kind of house moving castle and that kind of thing going on. So it feels it's got a, the Japanese animation influence is starting to kind of creep through. Wow. You know? But, uh, see, these but, are the things that I rely on you to point out to me, because when you bring up Miyazaki, I <laughs> see the obvious stuff like right. like in the, the Clone Wars uh, when Yoda was on yeah. his force journey. <laughs> you know, you saw yeah. a lot of that influence there with Jamie's character. Yeah. yeah but yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't I don't go much deeper than than the obvious. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'd even make the connection between Rex's. Mm-hmm. Um, what, yeah, the, what mobile camp that that walker that he's converted into? Uh, there's kind of a, a kind of a quaint kind of ramshackle quality. Yeah, ramshackle. I was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love, I love it. I think it looks fantastic. But, uh, but I mean, as for the Ralph influence, you know, the, I mean, there were certain shots of Vader in the in the opener that I just thought, wow, that feels so Ralphy. In fact, in fact, a lot of it feels like a very specific image that Ralph did. One of the, one of the earlier concepts that Ralph did of of uh, Starkiller and Vader fighting. It's not actually the main one that turned up in the portfolio. There's a different one that he, that he did that was kind of like a, a book cover design um, that that really really feels like like the sequence where uh, you know where um, uh, Kanan's been grabbed by Vader and, and stuff. But I mean, just uh, outside the design side of it, how great was it to finally have Vader back? I mean, to me, it kind of felt like this is a guy I haven't seen since Return of the Jedi. And although I adored Anakin in the Clone Wars, I thought he was a fantastic character, and I, I really miss that character. I think he was a wonderfully rich and believable and likable character. You know, Vader for me was always this this mean, scary as anything monster who would just annihilate everybody in the room. And I haven't really felt that fear factor for Vader in in decades. And and here, here they've managed to. I think they've managed to pull it off in these these this opening couple of episodes. When when Vader sort of first, we're all right with spoilers on this one, aren't we, Jimmy? We're okay to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, of course we are. Yeah. When Vader first appears in those those first couple of episodes, comes out and and the whole fleet is just running scared, and it's basically one guy in a fighter and and just turning it on its head. That whole thing of like you know we've previously we've been laughing and and cheering along with Anakin as he's been fighting off the buzz droids and zooming about and saving the day and being the good guy. But when that power is in the hands of the bad guys, it's, it's terrifying. And it's an interesting contrast, you know, to sort of like go, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the bad guys would, would feel like the, the rebels do now Vader's kind of shown up and he's capable of doing this. And I, I, I loved all that. And I love the fact that, that, you know, we had that frigate feeling. It felt very return of the Jedi to me and, the gathering of the gathering of the clans, as it were. I, I love that the energy of these these first two episodes. And I just hope we get more and more of that. I hope, I hope we stay off um, off the uh, lothal for a little while. I mean, I, I know they'll have to go back there eventually, and there'll, there'll be other sort of you know story aspects of the story that require them to go back there. But but um, I'm I'm ready for the you know for it to expand out into into rebellion proper, as it were. You know what I mean? Aren't you, Jimmy? Oh, you want to see. You want to see it expand to include the the more full scale rebellion. It seems like they're going in that direction. Mm. That it's there's a snowball effect going on here. Yeah. Much to Kanan's dismay, he doesn't want to get involved with another military. No, he likes to just be uh, Robin Hood. You know, he thinks he's Robin Hood. But um, 
But uh, yeah, I, I think that's definitely the direction the the show is going in. Obviously, the focus will be on the crew of the Ghost. Yeah, you'll see uh, cameos from Ahsoka. I don't expect to see her all throughout season two. I think mm. I think when she does show up, it'll be something special. And same yeah. thing with Darth Vader. And you can see that they've already laid down the groundwork for that by uh, revealing that there will be other Inquisitors. Yes, taking the place, taking the role as the lead in the hunt. Mm-hmm. So Vader will go back to uh, being more behind the shadows, mm. as uh, is is the case. I think it is. You know, I don't think that Vader is a public figure. I don't think he's a politician. I don't think he makes public appearances. He doesn't go on the campaign trail. He is a guy who works in the shadows mm. on behalf of the Sith. Not mm. you know as as. The rebellion grows. He represents the empire as he mm-hmm. tries to put, you know, hunt down the rebellion, and he represents the Sith when he's hunting down Jedi. Mm. So I think there's a difference there, and I, I think that's something that's going to become more obvious as we get more stories about Darth Vader during the dark mm-hmm. times. Did We're going to, yeah. Sorry, Jimmy. Did you did you get that feeling of? Like this is this is the first time I've I've seen Vader in ages, you know. Because for, for me, in, in all the expanded universe and material that's out there, you know, books by their very nature needs to be need to be quite wordy, you know. And Vader as a character, I never kind of felt needed to be particularly wordy. So in a book, I'm not really sure he works that well unless he's sort of talk, talk, talked about in the third person, you know. Um, although although the, you know the 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 novel Darth Vader is great, but but. Uh, you know, so for, for me, I, I don't really feel like I've seen him since Return of the Jedi. You know, like 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 this this bad guy. You know, and so for me, it really did feel like a return to sort so, something that I really missed. True Vader. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it seems really smart to me too. I mean, it's clear that I mean, Lucasfilm have always managed things brilliantly. They've always been very, you know, very thoughtful, thoughtful, and and careful about the way that they've they've handled Star Wars, and they've always taking great care to make sure that the, the sort of it progresses in a way that, you know, maintains its popularity and its class and all that kind of stuff. And it, so it seems to me that now it's a Disney property that that hasn't changed. In fact, it almost feels like they've ramped it up a gear and, and it feels like a lot of smart choices are being made. I mean, like even on a superficial level, the fact that they filmed the entire convention for me, that was a stroke of genius. So that was a great thing to do. And I hope that they always do that now. And if they don't, I'd be very disappointed if I didn't get, you know, a four day feed of, of the whole convention. I think that's, that's fantastic to be able to, to be able to watch that. But at the same time, you look at this show and you think it really does begin to feel like, okay, this is, this is going to make younger, a younger audience familiar with these older characters and, you know, bringing Lando into it and, and getting them to know who Vader is and that the stormtroopers are bad guys now and all that kind of stuff. It just seems like a really simple, but smart, choice you know and and uh i don't know i mean uh, it's just uh you know just spending time with dave and all that gang you know it's just the love just pours out of them for star wars doesn't it and i I just it makes me so excited about where star wars is going and and i'm just glad that there's nobody involved in in uh the future star wars that is you know disinterested or uh you know, where Star Wars doesn't feel like it's their main thing. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, because JJ, although, you know, you can say that, oh, well, he's the Star Trek guy. I mean, clearly he's made no bones about it right from the start that he, his main passion is Star Wars. You know, so I'm very excited about, about where it's going. I think they seem to have the right balance between kind of people who clearly are fans 
Uh, but at the same time, you know, extremely professional and really know their stuff. Um, but they, they speak that language that we all speak. You know, they know, they know their jowers from the rugnauts, don't they? Without, <laughs> without prompting, you know. And um, so I, th- I think Stowers is in good hands. And I think, I think they're quite likely to influence the generations that haven't been born yet. And I'm very happy about that. Well, How about you? Oh, God. It goes without saying, Paul. It goes without saying. Um, this show is all about you. And, uh, no, it, it really is. It really is. I, I think it's necessary that we, I can't believe we have not even spoken to each other since, and I'm, we must have had enough of each other by the end of it. You know, no, definitely it's not. Like, <laughs> it's just like, okay, I, I could go until the next convention before, uh, I hang with that guy again, <laughs> but no, um, <laughs> it's great to get caught up with you. And we wanted to have you on our, uh, round table, no, Star Wars late. Rebels to Classified. It was just too late in the evening. It was like, or too early in the morning, however you want yeah. to look at it. I was on set at five the following day, and you wanted me to get on the phone at four, so it was a bit of a trick. No, not hey. happening. <laughs> not happening. But we're so thankful that you had the time to, to spend with us and get us all caught up on uh, everything. That, you know, and, and I, I like the way that um, that you sort of directed the conversation as far as celebration goes the things you brought up because when i intro this show i always say this is our look at everything that inspired and contributed to the vision of star wars as we see it on the silver screen Mm. but i'm going to add now along with the positive influence it has on fans worldwide Mm. it's a loop isn't it the circle is now complete yeah the circle oh 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 hold on hold on i have to (laughs) i have to do the proper settings here and the circle is now complete. There we, there we go. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Worth the price of admission well, yeah. right there. Yeah. Apologies to listeners if I tend to ramble and go off in tangents all over the place, but I'm kind of cramming. You know, it's like the, where there's a lot we wanted to talk about that and it and not a lot of structure. So it's, <laughs> that's what this show is all about. Right. So and uh, yeah, thinly disguised, not to do with influencers, but no. <laughs> but, no, I mean, you know, Jimmy and I have been trying to get together to do this for a little while, and and Jimmy just kind of like dropped me a line about an hour ago and said, "Do you want to do it tonight?" And I was like, "Oh, I was going to really sort of plan and make sure I didn't ramble, but uh, unfortunately, we're out of luck, and I just had to ramble." So there you all go. right, well, plan for next time starting now. Okay. So we'll just be ready to rock. And, but I, like, I, like I said, we're grateful that you were able to take the time to hang with us and uh, fill us in uh, with all of your wisdom and knowledge, insight. I'd like to, I'd like to say one thing for a go, which is just like, you know, the Star Wars fans and the Rebel Force Radio family, you know, that, that came to the party and stuff like that. You guys made the convention for me, and and every single one of you were just so nice to me and friendly. And I'm always very flattered when anybody knows who the heck I am. And and uh, there was just so much warmth at that place that that I, I I can't wait for the next one. And it wasn't about the trailers, and it wasn't about all the wonderful things that we saw in the prop room and stuff like that. It was about the people that went and the family that that we've kind of now created over the years. And uh, I miss you all, and I can't wait to see you all again very soon. Well put, Paul. Well put. You can follow Paul on Twitter at PaulRMQ and like him on Facebook. If you uh, want to uh, talk about anything we've been talking about, you want to contribute, drop us an email, show at rebelforceradio.com, subject line Star Wars Influences. And, uh, of course, we'll be back with Star Wars Oxygen. So, Paul, 
you're going to have to pick up the pace. <laughs> but there, there's not going to be a regular weekly show of Rebel Force Radio. We're going to have, yeah, we're going to have uh, Star Wars Oxygen coming out Friday. And then we'll be back the following week with uh, all kind of fun stories to tell. Listeners, uh, let me let me just tell you something. I, the number of times I've said to Jimmy, like, okay, let's just record three back to back. And Jimmy's like, no, you're all right. I can kind of do without doing that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't think you can't. You but, have a uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, we want to keep it fresh, you know. Let's, let's yeah. keep it fresh. But you have a life and kids and a family and 200 other podcasts to do. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's all right for me to say that. But. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But uh, there's always room for Paul. So, <laughs> <laughs> for Paul Batman. but yeah. uh, Or the Happy Bunny, as he is now known. <laughs> So, so Paul, yeah, let, let's definitely get together sooner than later, and let's follow up on this. We'll uh, keep rocking Star Wars influences throughout the summer into the fall, and then, boom, we'll be knocking on the doorstep of The Force Awakens. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Star Wars to talk about. He needs Star Wars movies in two years. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm too excited. So, chew on that for a while. And uh, just I want to say, on behalf of Paul Bateman and Rebel Force Radio... Thank you so much for listening to Star Wars Influences. I'm Jimmy Mack, and remember... The Force will be with you, always. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.